There's so much happening in New Zealand's space industry that it's hard to keep up. We're signing international treaties. New Zealand's become the latest signatory to an international space agreement. The Artemis Accords are a set of principles to guide space cooperation and will support NASA's plans to return humans to the moon by 2024 and to launch an historic mission to Mars. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to acknowledge the historic signature of the Artemis Accords by our partners in the New Zealand Space Agency. Rocket Lab is designing two photon spacecraft for a 2024 scientific mission to Mars. We're going to build a big rocket. It's called Neutron, and behind me is just the bearing. This is a purpose-built mega-constellation building machine for all the mega-constellations of today and of tomorrow. It's an eight-ton class launch vehicle, and of course, it's reusable. But one thing that's probably more exciting and most unusual for Rocket Lab is that this vehicle is capable of human spaceflight. But there's a great deal more to our space industry than Rocket Lab. New Zealand has a lot of capability and a lot of uh, hidden talent that is going on in being involved in space. New Zealand has joined its first official space mission as a country to combat climate change. It's called MethaneSat, and the mission's control centre will be located here in New Zealand. A Kiwi Dutch company Dawn Aerospace is looking to set up a base here, harnessing a reusable space plane to take satellites into orbit. Omuru would be the latest remote New Zealand location to join the space race. Rocket Lab is based at Mahia, there's a giant Kiwi space radar in Naseby, and Awarua near Bluff has long been used to monitor international rocket launches. Today, I'm proud to announce the next radar in our network. It's in New Zealand. New Zealand has always taken a very active role in preserving their own environment, and they're taking that philosophy to space. Former NASA space engineer Eric Dahlstrom started a directory of companies, ventures and projects connected to the space industry here, but it was harder than he thought it would be. Coming from California, I just didn't realise that how hard it would be to get people in New Zealand to admit to doing amazing things. But one guy, I had to give him five beers before he told me all of the amazing things he was working on. Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, the new space industry thriving here. It's bigger than you think, worth more than $1.7 billion, more than our wine industry. It provides 5,000 jobs directly and another 7,000 in related services. In fact, we have at least 240 companies and organisations involved in off-earth work, ranging from dark sky tourism to space debris tracking and a world-first trial of a self-flying, all-electric air taxi. Yes, Jetsons fans, the future is here. It's not actually uncommon now to encounter a pretty high-tech space-based businesses in places like Alexandra, Naseby, across central Otago. And it's quite extraordinary. And, um, you know, we've got launch sites potentially appearing near Christchurch. We've got rockets potentially launching from Omeru. It's, um, the South Island is becoming a bit like Cape Canaveral, really. It's quite exciting. Otago Museum director and space enthusiast Ian Griffin says the South Island's relatively clear skies and isolation is working for it. If you're going to launch rockets, you definitely don't want a big population nearby. And also, um, my understanding is certainly the, the company that were developing potential launch site coming out of Omeru, the advantage there is that uh, there's not many airliners that fly around, so you can test your very fast rockets without any risk to commercial tra- air traffic. 
So there are some real benefits to the South Island's isolation. But also, I mean, some of these companies are relatively high tech and, um, you know, you don't have to base your high tech company now um, in Wellington or Auckland. You can go places like Alexandra, um, which has got great internet, and you can connect to the world through there. So it's kind of interesting. I think the South Island offers some lots of attractions to folks who are setting up businesses. So you've got sort of a lot of fingers and pies in terms of knowing a few of these people. Are they New Zealanders who just got really interested in space, or are we importing the expertise at this stage? Well, it's a mixture of both. I think, um, obviously, you know, Rocket Lab is a classic example there. It's uh, founded by a New Zealander, but funded internationally and bringing in lots of international experts. Um, and I think it's varying. Uh, so, for example, Zera in Alexandra was set up by a New Zealander originally, and uh, they've also now got some international staff. So I think this isn't a space where we're just importing people. It is a space where uh, Kiwis are really active and, um, you know, typical Kiwi ingenuity is paying off in spades. So how long have we really been occupying the space space, I don't want to say? Well, it's definitely, I mean, I've, I've lived in New Zealand now for about eight years and certainly in my time it seems to have kind of taken off, literally. Sorry, that's a terrible thing to say, but... Um, you know, uh, these these startups are spot, starting up all over the place. And um, obviously down in Southland, you've got the big ground station, uh, which is offering sort of services to people around the world. Uh, my understanding is that this number of Elon Musk um, Starlink ground stations going to be rolled out in New Zealand. So I think we're just entering an age where, you know, space, more and more stuff is going on in space. Obviously, these mega constellations are being uh, launched, which are getting more opportunities to build satellites and that kind of thing. Um, and I think we're just living in an era where, you know, space is the new frontier. Did it start with Rocket Lab or is that sort of the peak visibility of it? Um, I think that's probably the, the high point of uh, what we're doing and there's certainly amazing stuff that they're doing. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, New Zealand's connection with science goes back a very long way, of course. And um, for the last five, six, seven years, the, the NASA Observatory SOFIA has come down to uh, be based at Christchurch Airport, and uh, they fly, you know, missions every every winter to study the southern skies. Um, and I think it's just an area now where the access to space is getting easier and easier and cheaper, and that means that business opportunities are growing. And I think anywhere there are business opportunities, there are Kiwis who are trying to, to make a, a buck, and that's a really good thing because these are high-tech, high-paying jobs that really, um, you know, speak well to the future of our country. And when we say the space industry, we're not just talking about launching a rocket, are we? I mean, we have things like, um, you know, satellite imagery that may in the future help winemakers monitor their their grapes from the air, that kind of thing. That's right, yeah. I mean, um, there's an enormous amount of information is coming back from space now. And, there, you know, images of almost every part of the Earth are taken literally on a daily basis. And those allow people on the ground to study, you know, how the ground is changing, land use changes. And as you say, some, um, some industries like uh, fruit and wine, et cetera, can, can get really critical information about their crop simply by taking pictures from space. So as we get more satellites out there, the information increases and, you know, the ability to process information is always commercially valuable. So I do think um, certainly in the next 10, 15, 20 years, there'll be more and more businesses starting up um, and potentially contributing um, in a major way to the New Zealand economy. The government is well aware of these economic opportunities. It's established the New Zealand Space Agency, which is run under the auspices of the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Its partnerships include those with NASA and the German Aerospace Centre and a host of international high-tech firms. Canterbury is the first region with its own aerospace sector hub aimed at nurturing and growing the industry, and that includes a partnership with Iwi on the Kaitoriti Spit, 
which will launch rockets and regenerate the environment at the same time. The New Zealand government has sort of realised this shift and taken advantage of it by saying that their main function is to manage and regulate these commercial activities rather than go out and buy um, you know, billion-dollar missions. This is astronomer and space engineer Eric Dahlstrom, who came to New Zealand four years ago on a Hillary Fellowship as part of his quest to help countries get more involved in space projects. He's an international space consultant. When we talk you know, to our friends around the world, uh, everybody in the space community knows about New Zealand. It's uh, held up as a, as a real model for how to uh, get a lot of activity going. So that uh, it's been a, a big transformation from when we first visited four years ago and we told the government that we wanted to help space entrepreneurs in New Zealand. And they said, uh, are there three of them? Uh, <laughs> how many are there? And but, uh, my wife uh, made a big effort to collect a New Zealand space directory that's at our website, uh, spacebase.co. And uh, there's about 240 organizations and companies in there now. 240 organizations in New Zealand that have business to do with space. Yes, yes. Now now we take a broad view and we also include some of the, you know, uh, uh, astronomy, tourism groups and things like that just to be complete. But they, But there's a lot more activity going on than people realize. And that's one of the biggest shocks to us coming from California is that uh, New Zealanders will do amazing things, and they don't won't talk about themselves. The uh, in <laughs> in California, you'll, you'll someone will hype themselves in the first ten minutes, but in New Zealand, it's taken a lot of effort to uh, to find out all the amazing things that people are doing. What are the key factors driving those operations? Why are people setting up here? Well, on the rocket launch side, the geographic isolation is actually a real advantage because. When you're launching rockets anywhere in the world at this point, what you want is to not interfere with air traffic and shift traffic. And uh, you don't realize how much trouble there is launching from Florida with all the aircraft flying into Miami. They have to be uh, shut down for hours for every launch. And so here, uh, without much traffic to the east and south, uh, Rocket Lab has lots of opportunities to launch. But the other side is what I I call the power of small. Um, It's the New Zealand Space Agency is, I don't know, something around, something less than 40 people. And you can get all the decision makers in one room and get decisions made very quickly. And so that is is such a contrast to the big space-faring countries around the world where the bureaucratic inertia is so large. The New Zealand government has been very good about being very responsive to to new ideas and approving things while maintaining a New Zealand uh, perspective on, on what should be allowed. Could there be a downside to that? I mean, you know, are, what are the chances of a bad actor um, coming in and getting easy access to, you know, what it wants to do? There are very good checks, you know, throughout the system. So, um, it's possible, you can imagine, but it's, uh, you know, and New Zealand works very closely with the U.S. government because Rocket Lab, having shifted their headquarters to the U.S., is 
uh, involving both the U.S. government and the New Zealand government in approvals of their launches. But um, and you know, it's conceivable that there could be bad actors trying to extract the technology. But it, but um, there actually seems to be pretty good safeguards in place. And also the the fact that in New Zealand the community is very small and people know each other. It's not like uh, anonymous people showing up trying to learn secrets is going to be is going to get very far. Documents obtained by NewsHub show 20 applications for space or high-altitude activities have been made to the New Zealand Space Agency since 2017. None have been declined. New Zealand has one space lawyer. Maria Poser is an expert in regulation and risk management in the industry. It's just so surprising when you start thinking about it, how many entities we have in New Zealand that are undertaking either direct or indirect work, be it supply for componentry or something like that, here in New Zealand. It's really quite mind-blowing. Poser doesn't see anything sinister in the cutting of red tape for these high-tech companies to get permission to operate here, saying the application process is rigorous. They have a look at the application as a whole. They want to know what's going on, why is it happening, what sort of activities are you going to be undertaking, what sort of technology are you going to be doing. So there's a lot of due diligence that's undertaken. But she says we do operate differently to most countries with space capability. New Zealand does not have a huge history in space development, much like our other Five Eye nations, for example, the US, for example. They've got a really, really, really rich military history of development. And, of course, with NASA too, development of space technology, space exploration, research and design. There's a lot that they have that they could draw upon in the formation of their own legislation. And so the legislation takes on that context of... that history. But for New Zealand, we are probably, I think it's absolutely fair to say, 100% driven by commercial activity. So we've come to this from a position of commercialisation and commercial context. So when you look at that, then you also then have a look at the New Zealand Space Agency website. You know, we actively want to engage with entities to undertake space activities from New Zealand. So there is still a framework in place under the Space Act that operates here in New Zealand, whereby entities have to apply for permits or licenses, depending on their activities. So there's still a framework in place that needs to be adhered to. But because of the way New Zealand treats space activities from that commercial perspective, it does have a different stance from other nations. Does that make sense? Yeah, but what kind of different stance? So, I mean, it's not coming from a the government controls and decides everything. It's coming from a, okay, you're a business, tell us about it, we'll help you set up kind of thing. This could make money for the country. You've hit the nail on the head. We're quite collaborative. We want to work collaboratively. There's lots of activity like um, the NASA Sophia infrared aircraft comes to New Zealand to observe the southern sky. And on the aviation side, there's been a lot of support for uh, experimental testing. You know, there's been balloon testing and large scale UAV testing and things like that. And in fact, there's there's even a recent agreement in, in the area near Christchurch for a, uh, a new aerospace testing area out near Birdings Flat. And uh, so it's... There's uh, support across the board in many areas that make this uh, a friendly place. In fact, 
we have talked to several people in moving companies here from Europe that uh, they just couldn't find a place in Europe for their flight tests. And they wanted to come to New Zealand just to develop their aerospace systems. Is there a danger that our skies could become too crowded? There's a potential there. The, I mean, certainly uh, we're talking just in the aviation and uh, high altitude areas. Uh, right now, it's not much traffic for these. It's much less than other parts of the world. But uh, And then, of course, satellite orbits are global. And so there's the other concern about the increasing number of satellites that are in the sky that uh, have both plus and minus uh, aspects of that. With the stratosphere getting more crowded and the danger of space debris increasing, we need to know where it all is. So it's incredible that this high-tech um, tracking facility has been set up uh, near Naseby, and uh, that's really contributing to how well we know the positions of all of the things in orbit around the Earth. And if you're you know, launching satellites, um, you really need to know that information because the last thing you want to, to happen is um, a, a, a collision, which would be a disaster. A small piece of debris, just a couple centimeters in size, has the kinetic energy of a piano moving at 60 miles per hour. We are often called the Google Maps of space. We're building the base layer map of the low Earth orbit environment. It's a dynamic map. It's changing. It shows where the satellites are, where the debris is, where the new satellites are going, and where satellites are being taken out of orbit. The company Leo Labs, based in California, has four radar antennas around the world, and one of them is on the South Island here in New Zealand. And uh, they have a, a unique partnership with the government of New Zealand to provide um, tracking for anything launched from New Zealand as part of the uh, New Zealand's obligations to minimize space debris under uh, UN agreements. And I'm really impressed by what New Zealand has been able to do in this area by partnering with a commercial satellite tracking provider. They're actually, I, I, I hear about my friends that are connected with the uh, U.S. tracking system in the, the, the U.S. military, and, and they're stuck using computers from the 90s and struggling to keep up with the new satellites, whereas Leo Labs is providing really modern tracking to the New Zealand government. And so I think a couple of New Zealanders with laptops has about the same capability as the U.S. Space Force in this area. Many, many years ago, I, um, I used to work on the Hubble telescope program up at NASA. And, you know, you travel around America and go to all these amazing places and see incredible engineering. And I've got to say, when I moved down to New Zealand, uh, you know, a few years ago, if you'd have told me I'd be seeing similar activity here in New Zealand, I would have thought, nah, that's not going to happen. But, but it has. And, and the pace of it is quite impressive. Um, and these are serious companies. They're not like small uh, startups. Some of them are doing quite big business and are, are actually really contributing to the local economy in the regions of New Zealand. And again, that's another aspect of this. Not all of the, the developments are centered in Auckland or, or Wellington. Um, they are out in the regions, and, and there are opportunities out in the regions for people to set up these new businesses. And of course, the other thing we've got to remember is uh, the opportunities to launch spacecraft here. Um, there's not much due south of us. So if you launch directly south, you don't pass over any populated countries until you get on the other side of um, Antarctica. So that means if your rockets do crash, they're not going to do any damage. So again, um, New Zealand's a pretty good place to be able um, to launch rockets into space. Is this attracting people from overseas? I think it is, yes. And I think um, given you know, the amazing performance of this country during COVID, um, living in New Zealand has become a, a lot more attractive in the last year or so. Um, and I think if you couple that with you know, an economy that is um, willing to kind of adapt 
the, the relative ease of um, access to government and the people who make decisions, uh, it does make this country a very interesting place for folks to come and work. And you can see that there's a lot of investors trying to move down to New Zealand at the moment. And, and of course, a lot of talented engineers and, uh, and scientists would love to work down here in this part of the world. I think the other thing we've got to think about here, though, is, you know, the future of New Zealand's economy. Um, you know, exporting milk to China, you're probably making, you know, a certain amount per kilogram. But if we start, you know, exporting our ideas to the world, the, the intellectual property that we're doing is, is really valuable. So, you know, instead of paying whatever it is, maybe 60, 70, 100 bucks for a kilo of, uh, of milk to go somewhere, we might send a kilo of high-tech stuff that's worth tens of thousands of dollars. And um, there's real opportunities, I think, here in the new high-tech economy. And of course, to be able to service this economy, we need an education system that you know, generates lots of people who've got the talent that we need in this new era. Um, and it's not just scientists and engineers. You know, uh, There's all sorts of ways that folks, um, artists can contribute towards this as well, designers and that kind of thing. So um, I do think all of this activity does mean that um, it's up to us now to try and ensure that the education system here can produce people who can service this new economy. That's all for today. I'm Alexia Russell. Thanks to Ian Griffin, Eric Dahlstrom and Maria Poser. Jeremy Ansell engineered this episode and Mark Jennings produced it. The detail is a newsroom production for RNZ made possible by New Zealand On Air. We're on all the usual podcast platforms. Hit subscribe and get a new episode downloaded every weekday. If you're an Apple user, please give us a rating. It helps others to find us. You can also listen on the RNZ newsroom or stuff websites. Kakite. Kakite.